we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, please. Luke chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at the life of Mary Magdalene. I'm fascinated by her life and challenged by it. And uh, the, the wonderful things that we learn about her, but the wonderful things that we learn about her are not because of her. It's because of Jesus. Amen. And we're going to see some wonderful things that Jesus did in and through her life. And obviously still using her life. And I pray and hope that he'll use her life tonight and what he has done through her. Chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll hold our place at uh, verse 3. And we'll jump right into the message. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Preaching, that's what he did. He went preaching the gospel. And the twelve were with him. We, of course, know that's the apostles. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, Magd Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the Word of God, and I pray you'd help me as I speak tonight. You'd speak to our hearts, that you'd speak through me, and that you'd give clarity and direction, and that exactly what you've intended for these moments would be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. In the context here of chapter number 8, it's somewhere in the beginning of Jesus' second year of public ministry. And he spent most of his time in Galilee, and again, he's spending much of his time in Galilee the second year. He's traveling throughout Galilee. The last recorded place in Luke that he was at was a place called Nain, and that was about six miles south of Nazareth. And he heads back up into uh, the, the, the middle sections of, of Galilee. This is the first mention of Mary Magdalene as well in the timeline of, of Jesus uh, public ministry. And so we're looking at uh, the question tonight, who is Mary Magdalene? There's a lot of assumptions about who she is and the type of woman that she was. And we want to be clear about what the scriptures say. As we continue, as I continue to study, uh, I realize there's some things that I thought she was that she is not. Uh, first of all, she is not the woman taken in adultery. You remember the story of the lady taken in the very act and pulled out by the Pharisees in front of Jesus. And, and uh, they were expecting Jesus to keep the law, as it were, as they understood it, to stone her. And Jesus said, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And they all, one by one, walked away. It's not Mary Magdalene, however. Many have thought it was because... Uh, it, it happens very close to what we just read in chapter number 8, those first three verses. Also, she's not the woman who, who anointed Jesus' feet. Many have thought that, that she was the one that came to him and, and uh, wept, and her tears fell upon his feet, and she anointed his feet with oil and wiped his feet with tears. But Mary Magdalene was not the one who did that. We are clear in, in John that uh, it was Mary of Bethany who 
who uh, did that. And so there's some misconceptions about who she is. Um, what we do know about Mary Magdalene, we know that Mary is from Magdala. <laughs> and the word, it, it, it tells us here that she is Mary called Magdalene. And the word Magdalene simply identifies her as being from Magdala on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. And so tonight, I'm just going to give you some things as I studied her life and studied Christ and his intervention with her and the things that he did. And we're going to hopefully learn some things uh, that, will, that will help us. And I've got several, there's several applications that I trust the Holy Spirit will make in your life, but I've got three takeaways that I just want to mention. Very simple, very general takeaways from what we're going to study tonight, and I'll give you those as, as we go along. Mary's mentioned in Scripture 14 times, Mary Magdalene is, more than most of the apostles. She's a very prominent follower of Jesus Christ, and the Lord used her in a great way. Here's some things we know. We know Mary was possessed of seven devils. We also know that Jesus delivered her from, the, from their bondage. We don't know when it was, if it was early on in the first year of Jesus' public ministry or soon before what we just read in our text of chapter 8. But what we do know is that Jesus delivered her from being possessed of seven devils. And uh, we understand that, that uh, that's quite a serious thing. I don't think that we in our Western culture take the influence of Satan and the possession of demons as, as seriously perhaps as, as we should. So what does it mean to be possessed of devils? What does it look like? And I just want to give you some examples from Scripture of kind of what it means and what it, what it looks like. Matthew 12, 12, there was a man who brought another man uh, to Jesus who was possessed. And the Bible happens to say that he was not only possessed, but that he was blind and he was dumb or he was mute. And Jesus cast out the devil and healed his infirmity. I don't know that the being possessed of a devil was what caused him to be blind and mute. They could be the, uh, go along the same line or they could be separate things. But this man was possessed and he was blind and he was mute. In Matthew chapter 17, there was a father who had a son. Son was possessed of an evil spirit. He was seizing. He was painfully affected. He was physically affected and thrown down at times by this devil. In Mark chapter 5, we're familiar with a man that we call the maniac of Gadara. And he lived in the tombs. He was isolated and had unnatural strengths. They would try to bind him with fetters and chains and they couldn't keep him bound. He was uncontrollable. He ran naked through the, through the tombs. And we understand that he was possessed of a legion of devils. And Jesus came and delivered him from that bondage. In Mark chapter 7, we see a Syrophoenician mother coming to Jesus about her daughter who is possessed of a devil. It doesn't tell us exactly what the specific torment was, but the difference was when Jesus said that he had cast out the devil, the difference was when mama got home, her daughter was at peace and able to rest. In Luke chapter number 4, there was someone brought, a man was brought to the synagogue. He began to, uh, this devil that had possessed him began to loudly accuse our Savior. And he was physically thrown down after Jesus commanded him to come out of the man, threw him down. In Acts chapter 16, we have a young female slave who, as Paul is, is 
spreading the gospel and teaching the gospel. This uh, young female slave is following them around and mocking them that their Savior is the one who has come and He's the Messiah and mocking the Lord and given the ability apparently to know things beyond her learning. She made some men, some very rich men by this, uh, whatever this was that she had, but it was an ability to know things beyond her learning. And then, of course, we have an example of Judas. What does is, what is uh, being possessed mean? What does it look like? Some of these things that I've described. Perhaps blind and mute, seizing, painfully affected, physically affected and thrown down at times, isolated, unnatural strength, uncontrollable, torment, loud mocking and accusation, and then in the case of Judas, who walked with Jesus and his disciples, simply doing and spreading evil. We have in John chapter number 13, where the Bible tells us, if you'll turn there with me, in John chapter number 13, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 26 Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. This is the result of something. He was, he was uh, Satan entered him because of something. There was a reason why that he was allowed or able to enter into Judas. Look back at verses 1 and 2 of the same chapter. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should, de uh, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we find the end is that Satan entered Judas. We find here that there was a response that caused uh, Judas to be possessed of a devil. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. What was the reason and the reason we find in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, I believe, Mary comes in and anoints the feet of Jesus. Judas asks the question, what in the world, is she, what, what is she doing? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had, uh, he had the bag and bear what was put therein. And look what Jesus said to him. He rebuked him. He said, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and, there came, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. I believe that there was bitterness and anger, and of course Judas was a thief, and when he took that rebuke, he didn't take it correctly. And I believe that Judas was an angry man, 
and a bitter man, and he didn't receive this correctly. And as a result, Satan tempted him with the thought, and then it wasn't long after that that he was possessed of the devil. Let me just say this. Please understand that nearly all of the characteristics that, that we uh, have looked at may have other explanations. So it's important that we don't get in the habit of labeling everyone with forms of these things as demon-possessed. But as we look at these characteristics, think about Mary Magdalene. Out of all the ones that I read about who were possessed of devils, most of them uh, were possessed of one devil, one evil spirit. There were only two that were possessed with multiple devils, the maniac of Gadara and Mary Magdalene. She was in torment. She was in bondage. She was in pain. And whether internal or external or both, her life had been wrecked by the devil. And then one day Jesus came to her. One day Jesus met her and she was delivered from those seven devils. Can you imagine the joy in her heart? Can you imagine the gratitude that she felt for what Jesus had done? Can you imagine the loyalty that she had and obviously displayed in her life to the Lord Jesus? And listen, all of us who know the Lord were broken by sin and tools of the enemy. We were the enemies of God and we were in, uh, we were in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We were in, I keep wanting to say cahoots, but that's not the word. We were enemies of God and, as it were, friends of the devil. We were lost and without hope. And somehow, someone brought Jesus to us and we were delivered. Our sins were forgiven. We were saved. And oh, what joy that should create in our lives. And when we think about it, what joy that should cause us to live by. What gratitude that should create in our daily lives. No matter what's going on around us, We've been delivered. What loyalty that should uh, cause us to live by and toward our Savior Jesus Christ. Something else interesting, of, of all these possessed people that were delivered, they were delivered as a result of another bringing the need to Jesus. The Syrophoenician mother brought her daughter to Jesus, a request. The father brought and spoke of his son a man brought another man to the synagogue. I mean, these were all, uh, for the most part, as a result of someone else bringing the need to Jesus. I think I can safely assume that there were believers who knew Mary Mag Magdalene and who cared for Mary and prayed for her and perhaps told Jesus about her. And oh, how we should pray for people that are in the bondage of sin and in the bondage of Satan. It is a real thing. And oh, how we need to pray for them. Take away number one, Jesus can break the bondage of Satan. Amen. And it doesn't matter uh, on, uh, upon whom the bondage is. It could be someone lost like we assume many of these who were, or we know that many of these who were possessed of devils were lost and without Christ. But what about believers? Can we be affected by the enemy? I understand the Bible teaches us obviously that we cannot be possessed, but we can be, the word that we use is oppressed or certainly influenced. Even believers can be influenced by Satan. Satan desires to kill, kill, steal, and destroy the life of the believer. 
Jesus said to Peter, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He wanted to take Peter's life and destroy it and throw it about as fodder. Satan tempts us. He accuses us. He tries to deceive us. And the Bible teaches us, Paul said in Ephesians 4.27, that we can give place to the devil. We can give opportunity or license to the devil. How do we do that? We have a couple examples in Scripture. Habitual rebellion. Saying no to Jesus. Saying no to the Spirit of God as He works in us and tries to sanctify us and change us into the image of Christ. King Saul is the prime example. He wanted to do his own thing, his own way, and, and he didn't want to listen to the Word of God. He didn't want to listen to the man of God. He increased in anger and in jealousy and in paranoia and even attempted three times to murder David. And finally, God had had enough and sent Samuel, the prophet, to him and said, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Habitual sin, habitual rebellion, as the Spirit of God works in his children to help sanctify us and to form the image of Christ in us, and we say no, and we say no, and he works in us through the man of God, and we say no, and the Holy Spirit works through the word of God, and we say no, and then stop reading it. And we keep saying no, and keep saying no, what are we doing? We are giving place opportunity to the enemy to cause havoc. I think there's another example, unforgiveness. The Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2, they had corrected a problem. It was a very sinful problem. Immorality, adultery, fornication in the church. The Bible says, to whom ye forgive, after it was corrected, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, Forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Folks, understand that we're so susceptible to the wiles of the devil, the ways of the world, and the wants of the flesh. We must pray for one another to be delivered and to be protected. Luke 22 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he, may, that he may sift you as wheat. But what had Jesus done? But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus didn't say, I've cast him away from you. He said, I have prayed for you. These who were lost and possessed had people who brought them to Jesus. These who, uh, who know the Lord uh, need us to, and, and that are walking in sin, need us to bring them to Jesus or to pray that we would avoid the sinfulness that Satan wants to bring into our lives. So what is takeaway number one? That Jesus can break the bondage of Satan, whether of the lost person or whether of the saved. What else do we know about Mary Magdalene? We know that Mary used her substance to help minister to the needs of Jesus, her goods, her wealth. She was possessed of seven devils, and yet she had substance. We understand that there are business people that live for themselves and live for their pleasures and live for power that are at times just as much, I would say, possessed of evil as we would think of the maniac of Gadara was. 
powers and principalities in high places in this world that are pawns and uh, tools of the enemy. And when Mary, having been possessed by seven devils, was delivered from those devils, in her gratitude, in her joy, in her loyalty, she used that substance to help minister to the needs of Christ. Look in verse number 3 of our text in uh, Luke chapter 8. Speaking of these women, the last few verse, or words of the verse 3, these ladies, Mary Magdalene being one, ministered unto him of their substance. She used what she had for the Lord. And after her miraculous encounter with Jesus, Mary followed and traveled with Christ, the apostles and the other ladies. And in verse number 2, the Bible shows us that she surrendered her life to Jesus. It says that as Jesus went throughout every city and village preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with Him and certain women. She had turned away from everything that she understood and knew because of the deliverance that Jesus had given her and surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She was all in. Can we say tonight that we're all in following Jesus? Mary was dedicated even so much to be one of the witnesses at the cross. In John chapter 19 and verse 25 the Bible teaches us that there were several women and several other disciples who were watching the cross from afar. Mary Magdalene was one of those in some of the parallel accounts of the Gospels. But in, in John, and at some point, there were a very few handful that came to the foot of the cross, as it were. Verse 25 of John 19 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. You say, well, how do you know that they were so close? Well, the next verse tells us that Jesus speaks to John. He sees John, and, he, and John the apostle's there, and he says to John, John, behold, my mother. He says to his mother, behold, thy son. They were close enough to hear the voice of Jesus Christ as he spoke after being tormented and tortured and nailed to a cross. I would say they were pretty close to the cross. Reckless abandon. They didn't care who knew that, uh, that she and the others were dedicated to the Lord. And I don't think that's a, necessarily a, a negative thing toward those who may not have. I don't know the circumstances, but we know that in John 19 there were at least four that were there and in close enough range to hear Jesus speak. And then Jesus said, I thirst. And then the last words he said was, it is finished. And then the Savior died. Takeaway number two, Jesus will use your life to make a difference. Jesus will use your life to make a difference. Can you imagine as Mary Magdalene is traveling with Jesus and the others, these crowds come, and they're not only men that are being fed, but they're women and they're children. Who do you think was more apt to care for those women and encourage those women and, and take care of and help those, those children? It was these ladies. Imagine all the women and the children that Mary and the other ladies were able to minister to because of what Jesus had done for them. So I want to encourage us tonight to offer our lives to the Lord, and He will use it. 
You may not think you have much, but Jesus can do with your life what you and I can never do, and that's make a difference. Isn't that why we're here is to make a difference? Do you have a hunger and a desire in your heart and in your life to make a difference in someone else for Jesus' sake? And so use what you have. A widow had two mites, and Jesus praised her because she gave more than all the others because they gave out of their abundance. The lad's lunch, as Mr. Schatz preached about a couple of weeks ago, he had five loaves and two fishes, but he gave them to Jesus, and look what the Lord did with them. Those with mustard seed-sized faith, God says, I can move mountains with it. So what does Jesus want then from you and I? He doesn't want what you have. He wants your heart. Because if he has our heart, then he has what we have and who we are. Those gifts and talents that God has given us, let's use it for God. Let's use what we have to make a difference. John tells us that Joseph and Nicodemus then came to prepare and bury the body of Jesus in a garden tomb close to where he was crucified. I think it's interesting that sin started in a garden and victory over sin ended in the garden. In a garden tomb close to the place of his crucifixion. Now think about it. Their hearts are broken. They're confused. And yet... On the, on the first day of the week, Mary and other ladies came to the tomb with spices. John chapter 20 tells us about that. I want you to turn to John 20. So what do we know about Mary Magdalene? We understand that she came to the tomb with the ladies. The stone had been rolled away. She goes back and with the other ladies and tells Peter and John. Peter and John come back, and at some point Mary comes back as well. They realize Jesus is not in there. They look inside of the tomb. The Bible says they go away, not understanding the scriptures about his resurrection. And there's Mary Magdalene in verse number 11. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, seeking Jesus. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? We know that Mary was the first human being to see the resurrected Lord. What a privilege that is. Verse number 12. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Obviously, she didn't recognize them as angels, probably as gardeners, just like she's about to recognize the Lord. In verse 14, when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. You see, Mary is alone, she's weeping, and she's seeking the body of the Savior. The angels ask, why are you weeping? Almost as a, as a rebuke, this is a, a time of rejoicing. He's not here. Don't you know he is risen from the dead? He is alive. Why are you weeping? And Mary said, because his body is gone, and I don't know where he's at. Then Jesus says the same question. Why are you weeping? And then he asks another question. Whom are you seeking? 
Mary said, because his body is gone and I don't know where he is. And then verse 16 is one of the sweetest verses, I think, in Scripture. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. When Mary saw Jesus and when Jesus revealed himself to her, Mary was refocused. Rabboni. She didn't notice the, the troubles around her anymore and the brokenness and the hurt and the weeping and the loneliness. I mean, she had given everything. She was possessed of seven devils. She had burned all of her bridges. And when Jesus delivered her, that was her life. He was her life. And she was in a good place with Jesus as her all in all. And we would be as well. Mary was refocused. Saw the Rabboni, which is Lord and Master. Mary is also reassured. Jesus said, I haven't ascended yet. I'm still here. I'm with you. And Mary was re-enlisted. Go tell my brethren. Give them this news. Take away number three. Jesus will always be there for you. Jesus will always be there for you. Jesus knows our griefs and cares and he empathizes and sympathizes. Jesus knows our questions and he answers. Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows your struggles. He knows your frustrations. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. And he will make himself known to you. Jesus is a very present help in time of trouble. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And as Mary was seeking, may we continue seeking the Lord and listening to his word. May, may we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, the griefs and the burdens and the brokenness and the hurt, the, the, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May God help us to refocus, to be reassured, and to be reenlisted. Because Jesus can break the bondage of Satan. Jesus will use your life to make a difference. And Jesus will always be there for you. Will you bow with me, please? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.